We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast post-game. This is your host, Kami Amarabian. I'm going solo today. What a game in Oklahoma City, OKC versus the Los Angeles Clippers. It was really a Jekyll and Hyde game straight from the beginning. OKC, they looked pretty decent offensively in the first half. Of course, you know, they missed some shots, but they scored 54 points in the first half, and that typically is pretty decent for an OKC squad. Uh, regarding their shooting issues as of late. But they give, they gave up 67 points the first half. So, I mean, immediately, immediately you say you see defensive issues. But at the same time, these referees, they called the game pretty close. Uh, and by pretty close, I mean the tightest it possibly could have been. Los Angeles shot 24 free throws. OKC, OKC shot 14. But it seemed like everything was a whistle. And it, it seemed like also Los Angeles... They were in the bonus with eight minutes to go. I think in both corners, it was it was pretty bad. But let's just go off of raw numbers of for the entire game before we get into anything else. Field goal percentage, OKC actually shot fifty one percent. They actually were shooting a better percentage than Los Angeles the entire game. But OKC was shot fifty one percent with Clippers shooting forty seven. And this is what surprised me when I actually looked at the stats after the game. OKC shot fifty three percent from three. In Los Angeles, shot 35%. Now, if you were just watching the first half and seeing Danilo Gallinari just cook anybody who was on him, you would not have thought that OKC was shot 9 of 17 from 3, which must came in the second half, and the Clippers shot 7 of 20, but it did. Now, the, the free throw discrepancy, that was a thing. Los Angeles shot 43 
free throws. That is way too much for anybody. That's too many free throws. And I don't know if it's a if it's a refereeing thing. I don't know if it's if it's just a player thing. But to me, it seemed like a very very tightly called game, except the third quarter, which nothing was really called at all. And that was just again really odd. It's like it's like the referees overcorrected in the third quarter and then overcorrected again in the fourth quarter after just being incredibly conscious of ticky tack fouls, just hands. Yeah, it it was poor. It was poor. As as poor refereeing on their part for calling fouls, that was ridiculous. But other numbers, OKC's got to get better at free throws. They shot seventy two percent, and it seemed like Russ missed the first of uh, the first end of both his free throws. And uh, you know you can't have that. And Paul George, I think, missed two in a row, and that's, that's kind of that's an issue. And hopefully that cleared itself up. But as we've seen the past few years, it hasn't really done it. Here's some other numbers that are pretty good and as far as in OKC's favor. OKC had 16 steals. The Clippers had 6. OKC forced 25 turnovers. And the Clippers forced only 17. Those are your real numbers of the game right here, especially for the second half. OKC in the first half, 54 points, not bad. It's okay. But when Danilo Gallinari is taking you off the dribble, shooting wide open three pointers, every Bradley is in the corner. It's not good stuff. The Clippers, like I said, were getting the free throw line at will. It was pretty bad, and it's just it was an it was a weird game that the Clippers were getting the free throw line so constantly. Gallinari got everything he wanted in the first half, whether it be the free throws whether it be wide open shots, he was just making everything. And it seemed like one of those nights again, you're thinking, oh, well, the OKC is about to be, you know, one in five. And Oklahoma City, they just, they played the Clippers. And they and they 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 played Phoenix. So that's why they won the game, not because they were any good. And it was just, it was really disheartening. I mean, I think anybody can see that. That first half was really disheartening. And OKC it was weird because they, their bench came in and got OKC the the like a one point lead at one point, and you put the starters back in. Uh, and the and the Clippers go back up by nine and by thirteen and a half, and it was just, it was disheartening. And what I kept on saying, yeah, I was on the Twitter handle tonight as well. What I kept on saying is that real winners, uh, real winners, real leaders, guys that are trying to turn something around, guys that are trying to win something big, they embrace the grind. And what you saw from OKC in the first few games this season, yes, they were missing Russ, but that Sacramento loss, it that's that's nothing but pure grind. Uh, it, it's it's OKC not really paying attention on the defensive end, and they had they had several defensive lapses against the Clippers, especially in the first half. And like to end the first half, that was a massive defensive lapse where. I think he had four OKC players just collapse on the ball handler, and they left Mike Scott or whoever that guy. I think it's Mike Scott left them wide open at the <laughs> straight away for the three pointer, and he just canned it. And OKC, they just have to embrace the grind. And if OKC is gonna play defensive ball, turn you over and run in transition like Utah did last year, like Utah's doing this year, they're gonna have to embrace the grind every night. They're gonna have to get after on defense. And that's when we come to the second half. My God, guys. OKC begins that second half on a 23-2 and run. 
23 and 2. And defense, they just completely swarmed everything, switching guys, getting hands in passing lanes, making sure they contest every single shot. Now, again, I think the referees overcorrected themselves because I thought there were plenty of calls that were left left on the court that were probably fouls. But at the same time, it's it's something that I think it's I think it's it was in our, it was in our minds because they were fouls in the first half in the first half because these things were OKC guys are going straight up, guys are contesting shots. It's just pretty ridiculous. But OKC they win the third quarter, thirty nine to ten. So I mean, talk about defense leading to offense. OKC forced turnovers, and a lot of them were just runouts. And then OKC started to get get hot and started actually working on defense and it caused Doc Rivers actually put on Boban. I didn't think Boban was going to get in the game, but he did. And OKC, unlike last time, Steven Adams really posted him up. Steven Adams really went to work. He really forced Boban's hand and OKC wasn't letting this game get away from them. Now there was a couple times the lead ballooned to 20 points for OKC. It was just, it was wild. This, this game. The lead ballooned to 20 points, and it would get down to maybe 10, 12, 13. And that doubt kind of creeps back in your mind, just like it did against Boston. But OKC, in the fourth quarter, they just, they've been getting shots, and their shots have been going down. And that's primarily the, the big part of what OKC has been doing the last two games, especially tonight. Guys, the Clippers aren't a bad team. They may not have a superstar. They don't have a superstar at all. But they have plenty of NBA players that they can rotate in and out. Lou Williams, my goodness. That guy's a foul machine. It's like, it's just like any way you're defending him, you're kind of screwed. And he played really well in the first half and then kind of just went away. And we'll talk about that in a second with the stock up. So after watching the game, I have three players that my stock is up on. Steven Adams. Of course, we didn't see him against OKC against the Phoenix Suns with OKC's first win. And Steven Adams hadn't really been playing like himself. And it and we can say that just because OKC's losing. But he didn't look that great against the Kings. He really didn't look that great against Oh, uh, the first time against the Clippers, against Boban, where he was just getting killed by Boban and Gortat. But tonight, Steve Adams played really, really well. And it's not just because of what he was doing on the offensive end. OKC was just incredibly switchy all night on defense, especially in the third quarter. You saw, everybody saw what OKC can be on the defensive end in the third quarter. They have to embrace the grind. Now, do, do we expect OKC to hold their opponents to 10 points every night? No, I think that I think that's ridiculous. Nobody's going to expect OKC to hold their opponents to ten points and a quarter, but having Russ out there with Schroeder or maybe even Ferguson, and we'll talk about that in a second. But having Russ out there with one or two guards, PG, Jeremy Grant, Nerland, Stephen Adams, what have you, that's an incredibly versatile lineup. That's a lineup that can get after it on defense. And that's a lineup that can run out on just fast breaks on getting dunks. In OKC, they thrive off of that. So, Steven Adams, stock up. The guy played great tonight. And it was just it was really good to see him box out. 
Bobon. It was really odd. Again, it was tail two halves. It looked like a, Steven Adams was struggling against Martin Gortat in the first half, but Gortat kind of went away in the second half after Steven Adams just started playing downhill. And then that's when Doc put in Bobon to maybe maybe stifle Steven Adams, but it didn't work. So that's kudos to Steven. Second stock up. I think you got to go Terrence Ferguson on this one. Now, Terrence Ferguson, did he fill up the stat sheet? And I mean, you can look for yourself. He, he didn't. He did not fill up the stat sheet, but he had the highest plus minus. He had a plus 34. Two points, one assist, one steal. That's it. No rebounds. He had no turnovers. He had four fouls. The guy guarded Lou Williams incredibly well. It was impressive. And it was good to see that. That, you know, it looked like he was gaining confidence as the game was going on. Really impressive for him. And it was interesting because a lot of us, you know, including myself, we want to see Diallo. Diallo's a good kid. For his age, my goodness, he he knows he knows how to put the ball on the floor. He's not afraid. But Terrence Ferguson, he played Lou Williams really well, getting around screens, get his getting his hand in passing lanes, uh, playing positional defense, getting around the screens was a big deal, and just contesting every shot Lou would put up, and honestly, not even fouling. Really good for him. Really, really happy. He looked like he gained a lot of confidence this evening. Now, does that mean anything for his offensive game? No, it does not. But I thought him on the defensive end was crucial tonight because Lou Williams, he's the one that spurned on that Los Angeles Clippers run in the fourth quarter um, about a week ago. And Ferguson shut it down tonight. Do we expect Ferguson to be that sort of defensive guy every night? No. Lou Will's small, he's skinny. He's just he's a natural scorer. And Ferguson, yes, he's lanky, but man, he was getting after it. He was a plus 34. The next highest plus minus was Steven Adams, the plus 25. PG had a plus 21. Jeremy Grant and Russ, both plus 18. The team low, actually, on plus minus was Dennis Schroeder. He had a minus 14, but he finished with 15 and 3. Russ finished with 32, 8 and 4. PG finished with. 32-12-4. And, and that's honestly what you want to see out of Paul George. You want to see him be a scorer. He looked really good tonight. As a scorer, his shot was on. Jeremy Grant, I mean, what else can you say? The guy's athletic. He can hop out the gym. He's there when he needed. He had four early fouls that really kept him out of the game, but didn't really matter too much towards the end. And my goodness, my last stock up for the game, Patrick Patterson, guys. These last two games, it seems like going to the bench and coming off the bench is really working for Pat. He had a couple corner threes, and he also had, of course, he had that dunk, which everybody was celebrating with him. He was really good on defense, pretty switchy. Um, he was he was the only guy off the bench, by the way, with a positive plus minus. He had eight points, two rebounds, uh, one steal. That well, that was that dunk. It was a run out. It was fun. But Patrick Patterson looks like he's gained some confidence, just like Terrence Ferguson. And it's the, I don't I don't I don't know why. It's maybe because he's playing with Schroeder and he he can pass the ball very well. 
And maybe it's just because he has a really different contrast between him and Nerlens, and just like Jeremy Grant and Steven Adams have different skill sets. It's good to have two different kinds of bigs on the floor. I don't know. But Tupat, he's played really well today. He played really well against Phoenix as well. Uh, it's really good to see that out of him. So stock up on Patrick Patterson. Played a hell of a game. Played a really good last game as well. If you can get five to nine points out of Patrick Patterson every night, I think you take that. I think you take that all the time. Abrinas only had three points. I was really surprised. He played good positional defense. Abrinas led this team in steals tonight. Four. Next best two, Steven Adams and Russ with three. But Abrinas' defense is getting better. He's getting better positionally. I really love Abrinas when he puts the ball on the floor. He's getting a lot better at that. And it's it's impressive. I it's it's something he's adding to his game. And it's good to know. Let's go to stock downs. First up is Patrick Beverly for being a complete son of a bitch. I think that's anybody. And if Russ is petty, okay, Russ is the petty king. If there are petty wars, Russ wins all the time. One hundred one out of one hundred out of hundred. I mean, in the first quarter when Russ is backing down Beverly, just because Russ bulked up. And he does the whole cradle thing with the baby. That's hilarious. But then it's, you know, it's spurned on some stuff between him and Pat. And it's the fireworks happen every time between him and Patrick Beverly. But stock down Patrick Beverly just for being a little bitch. Uh, Russ tried to end his life. And that I enjoyed that quite a bit. But, you know, Patrick Beverly tried to take his knee out. I mean, Pat was going after the ball, but that guy is reckless. He doesn't care. And he got a flagrant for it. I wish he got thrown out of the game. I wish he, I don't know. I wish they'd devote him to the WNBA. No, it's just kidding. They can actually shoot the ball in WNBA. This kid can't. Stock down, Patrick Beverly. Another stock down. These referees. That was pretty bad. Anything and everything, it seemed like, was a foul call in the first half. And really, honestly, the fourth quarter. It seemed like the refs are just taking these new rules to heart. I don't know what it was. None of, none of them was even new rules. It wasn't jersey grabbing before plays. It was just really ticky-tack foul calls. And the first half, bad, real bad. Fourth quarter, even, they got back to their old habits. and Because it was just so odd how the first half went. The third, the third quarter, it seemed like there were no foul calls. Uh, I think OKC had three fouls on them with like two minutes left in the third quarter. And then we get back to this fourth quarter with all the foul calls. So stock down these referees be better at your job. You know, there's several of you on the court. Don't make the foul call. If you're on the opposite end of the court and you can't really see what's going on, just be better let the guys go play. It's basketball. I'll end this with my favorite moment of the night. I think this was everybody's favorite and should it had gone down, I probably would have ran outside my apartment and screamed, maybe take my pants off and my shirt off and just run around naked. That's how excited I was about to get. Was Russell Westbrook one-on-one with Patrick Beverly in the rim. And I everybody knew. Everybody in the peak knew. Everybody at home knew what was about to happen. Russ was about to tomahawk on Patrick Beverly. And it was basically, it was going to end Patrick Beverly's life. 
Unfortunately, Russ, he goes up. The ball does not go up with Russ. He just, I don't know what happened. I need to go back and rewatch it. Beverly didn't strip it because he'd make a big deal out of it. But I think just Russ just got too excited. And the ball slipped out of his hands going up. Because he knew he was about to straight murder Patrick Beverly. He was probably writing Patrick's eulogy in his mind while he was about to go up with the dunk. Um, unfortunately, it didn't go down. Still waiting on a Russ Tomahawk. But it was nice for Ferguson. to His only assist was that fast break. It was the, the oop to Russ. So that was, that, was, that was fun. But that was my favorite moment of the night. Of course, it was a missed dunk. But it was the intention that matters. But let's just get out of here. OKC wins 128-110 off of an amazing third quarter. This team's potential, defensive potential, incredible. Incredible. They have a lot of potential on defense, especially if PG and Russ are hitting their shots. I mean, Russ shot over 500. PG was at exactly 500. If OKC can get another shooter, I know the Cavs are shopping Kyle Korver. And of course, you're not going to trade. If you're OKC, you're not going to trade an actual player because, okay, I mean, you might trade TLC, you know? TLC and uh, the trade exception for Korver. And that's it. But focusing can get another shooter, play some play some grinding defense every game like we can like we know they can, then it's good. You saw that sense of urgency in the third and fourth quarter. Yes, OKC took took the you know they they took their foot off the pedal a little bit in the fourth quarter, but you saw and everybody saw what OKC's defensive prowess can look like. They're two and four. It's two in a row. They're not the Rockets who are one and five by the way since acquiring Carmelo Anthony. So I'm enjoying that as well. Next up, on Thursday, OKC plays the Hornets in Charlotte. It is a 6 p.m. tip. Charlotte hasn't looked so great this far. And then they have a back-to-back. They play against the Wizards in D.C. that Friday as well. Those are two totally winnable games. OKC could be 4-4 by the time they come back against the Pelicans. Next Monday should be an interesting, interesting uh, kind of run there. So, last but not least, let's get out of here. Thunder up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.